0: What is going on everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly Ryan Calagari on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that book down with Core Golden Nuggets. I'm bringing the author onto the show to have a conversation about the Golden Nuggets and I'm here with you every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. This is the first for the Cut the Crap Show. Back to back we have the exact same author. My man, Dave Asprey, we had him on last week talking about Headstrong. This week, we're talking about his new release. And guess what? We're doing this episode before the book is even released. It's coming out December 4th. This book is Game Changers. What Leaders, Innovators, and Mavericks Do to Win at Life. Man, come on. You put a title like that in front of me, I gotta pick up the book. So when Dave and I originally connected, we wanted to talk a little bit about Headstrong. When I found out he had this book coming out, he sent me a um, a pre-released copy Love this book. Some fantastic takeaways from it. And I almost liken this to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. In Napoleon Hill's classic book, he goes out and he interviews a ton of people to understand what they think, what they think, what they do, what they believe, their philosophies on life, to understand how they got to where they're at. What they've asked, I did the exact same thing here. What he did was he went out and interviewed a whole bunch of people. He went out and interviewed authors, scientists, uh, philosophers, athletes, a number of individuals to understand what habits they have that makes them great. So as we kicked into the interview, I had to ask Dave why he decided to write the book in the first
1: place. One of the ways that you can really learn something I mean really learn something is either teach a class on it or write a book about it because it forces you to get everything into your head to see how it fits together and I wanted to find out what these almost 500 people I'd interviewed on Bulletproof Radio really thought About being high performers Mm -hmm. and the idea here is I wanted to talk to Navy SEALs Nobel Prize winning scientists people who created new fields of psychology and medicine And Find out what they had in common and these weren't all successful entrepreneurs or anything like that These are just people who had done something noteworthy. What did they all think mattered most because copying one of them? Might mean doing the opposite of something else. I wonder how they prioritized what they did Mm. so that I could use it in my own life (laughs) and by going through these almost 500 interviews and statistically analyzing their answers to find out what they said, it gave me the ability uh, to upgrade my own life and to figure out how I could be a successful podcaster and CEO of a venture-backed company with $68 million in funding and an author and a dad and and make it all work together. So I I wrote this book because if I didn't write this book, I was going to miss out on the knowledge from all these people I talked to.
0: Now, Game Changers is laid out into three separate sections. Each section has under it a number of different laws that Dave Asprey believes we need to follow in order to become bucket number one, smarter, bucket number two, faster, and bucket number three, happier. So why
1: these three buckets in particular then? It's really easy as an author uh, to have your own bias come in. Mm. And certainly, I, I've i always wanted to be smarter. I'm one of the first people to really talk about smart drugs just in an mm. open way and cognitive enhancement and things like that. I even started a company that does that with neuroscience. Mm. But is it really true that people want to be smarter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to really look at the data. And so I decided to make this a data-driven book. And when you ask hundreds of people what three things are most important for performing better as a human being, well, if they all agree on something, you probably can learn from that. And after working with a statistician and analyzing the data, it came down to these three big buckets. They're doing things that make them smarter. They're doing things that make them faster. Hmm. And the biggest thing is that happy people perform better. If you want to achieve your big mission, you've got to find some way to turn on happiness. And when I read through this and I looked at my life, I'm in my mid 40s now, I look at all the times that I was you know, chasing money because I thought it would make me happy or you know, I'll buy a car, it's gonna make me happy. And it was completely wrong. Hmm. So I wanted to be able to, to pick up Game Changers and say if I had handed this to myself when I was 20 years old, would I have made a lot better decisions in my life if I only believed a third of the book? Wow. <laughs> and that was my goal <laughs> for the book. And on that note, let's kick
0: this thing off with golden nugget number one. Focusing on your weaknesses makes you weaker. That's interesting to me. Because I think that for the most part, we all look at maybe weaknesses we have. We say, "Ah, I have this weakness. I should take a course. I should read a book. I should find a mentor to help me go from having this as a weakness to turning it into a strength. But Dave's saying that's not the case. And instead, we just stop focusing on our weaknesses and instead double down on our strengths.
1: Early in life, I really thought that because I sucked at project management, I should become certified in it so I could address the weakness. And it's our our normal mindset as human beings to say, if I'm bad at something, I need to spend extra time on it. But the world's most successful people realized after trying lots of different things, that the ones that they were naturally drawn to, the things that gave them energy, uh, were the things that they should focus on and that they should ask for help on everything else. And this flies in the face of what most people uh, at any age do is, say, oh, I'm not good at that. So then they they sort of double down. And this is all about return on investment. The people who have won the Nobel Prize, the people who have, have achieved a preeminence in their fields, they actually stepped back and said, I am simply not going to touch that because I could be adequate at that with extra effort, but I don't have extra effort. All of my effort is going to the things that are good and I will get help. Mm-hmm. And if you have that in combination, that's how you change your game. And no one told me this when I was young. I spent so much time mm-hmm. focused on stuff that I was never going to be world class at. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is I would either hide from the stuff that I sucked at instead of asking for help. Uh, or I just wouldn't do it, or I would really suck at it. And this is what most people do. And I'm telling you, the world's best people, they don't do that. They say, you know, if I'm not good at accounting, I hire an accountant. If I'm not good at plumbing, I hire a plumber. And if I love plumbing, I do plumbing is a hobby, right? <laughs> it's okay. <That's> right. <laughs> it, any of these are okay.
0: So focusing on your weaknesses, it actually makes you weaker because you've consciously decided to put effort and attention on something you're not good at all while perhaps neglecting the things you are good at, your strengths. Now, this is especially true in business because what you suck at, you can delegate. Give that to someone who is great at that thing you're terrible at. And it'll make more time for you to focus on the things you are good at. Whatever you're great in, you should double down on that. And you should get rid of what you suck at. Delegate it. Get rid of it. Stop doing it. Now I'll be honest with you, this took some time for me to understand, because I've heard this advice before. It's not the first time I've heard it. And every single time I heard it, I was torn. And I fought it, because I thought about my own experiences as a martial artist. And if I didn't improve the things that I was weak at, I wouldn't have been able to do as well as I have done in martial arts. And so when I have proof like that, where it says, well, no, I improved my weaknesses. I focused on them. So I got better. And because of that, I became great at what I did. So I disregarded it. But then I kept hearing it over and over and over again. So I kept focusing on it. I said, well, there has to be some truth to this. It has to be applicable. It might not have been applicable in that case, but it's got to be applicable. Because even within your strength, there is weakness. Let me repeat that again for you. Even within your strength, there is weakness. So by focusing on your strengths, that's how you become world-class and a game-changer. But if you spend all your time and all your attention focusing on the things that you're not good at, your attention, your time, your investment, your resources, your energy, all goes to something that you're not great at, and you're going to grow up to be satisfactory, mediocre, just okay. But what if you focused on the things that you were really strong at, the things you were passionate about? Because even within that, there's weakness that you can improve. So if you're going to improve weakness, why would you spend time, energy, effort, resources on something that you're really terrible at as opposed to something you're great at that you can be world-class at? You know, you can go from good to great by focusing on the things that you're especially proud of, the things that you're especially passionate about. When I thought about that, all of a sudden, this changed. By focusing on your weaknesses, it'll make you weaker. So double down on your strengths. I fought with this one in my mind for a long, long time, but now it's concrete. And this, to me, is a game changer. Now, the challenge is gonna come up when you decide in your mind that you're gonna double down on your strengths and no longer be distracted by your weaknesses. The challenge you're gonna have is in saying no which in fact is one of the very first laws in this book so i had to address this one with dave
1: it, i love it that you mentioned it's the first law in the book because this is one of the biggest things that people who do great things have figured out it's simply how to say no and not pay a psychological and emotional cost for that and that full law reads You have 24 hours in a day. You can choose to spend those hours creating things you truly care about on insignificant matters or struggling to prove your worth by doing things that are hardest for you. Mm. Master the art of doing what matters most to you. Things that create energy, passion, and quality of life with the lowest investment of energy. Say no more. Mm. Decide less so you have more power for your mission. What's going on here is that if you say yes to a bunch of different stuff, then It is an energy drain, even if it's stuff that you kind of wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So people put systems in place to say no, or they have a default no, or they simply don't evaluate opportunities so that they can stay focused on the research so they can get an extra two hours practicing on the field Mm -hmm. so they can do any of the different things that really are going to move the needle for them and the people who don't reach those levels They oftentimes say yes because they feel obligated or say yes because they don't have a structured way of saying no. So just calling out this idea that, look, if you're going to do something and when you're done doing it, you feel twice as good as you did before and it just made you happy and it floated your boat, you probably should say yes to that. And you could also say yes to something that just makes you tired and exhausted when you're done. You should probably say no to that. But a lot of times we don't look at our yes-no decision based on the energy return that we get. The people who kick ass figured this out. Ooh, now there's a point
0: I really want you to focus on. When it comes down to what you choose to do with your time or what you're doing with your time, what is giving you energy and what is sucking that energy out of you? Do you feel invigorated? Do you feel excited about the things that you're doing? Or does it drain you? Does it bore you? Are you constantly distracted because you just don't want to do it anymore? That's a sign that maybe you're not doing what you should be focusing on. Maybe you're not focusing on a strength. Maybe you're giving too much attention to something that maybe you're weak at, something you're not good at, something you're not passionate about. And again, when Dave says, this is what the game changers figured out, maybe that's what you need to figure out. Why is it that you sit there and you're like, oh man, these people who say they just get up out of bed and they can't wait to start their day or the people who say, I can't wait for Mondays. You might think they're full of crap. When in fact... They're not full of crap. Maybe they've just figured out what gives them energy. Doesn't that just make sense? When you wake up out of bed full of energy, it's because you're doing something you love to do. I love that takeaway. Golden nugget number two, disrupting fear. Now we need to learn to disrupt fear. We have to. Otherwise, the first sight of fear, we're going to be booking it in the other direction. Fear is crushing, especially on our way to our goals. If our goal scares us, we say that's a good thing. But at the same time, if we don't learn how to disrupt fear, it could be a bad thing as well. It means we'll never achieve it. We'll come up with excuses as to why we can't do it. Procrastination will sneak in. and We've talked about this before in previous episodes of the Cut the Crap Show. We talked about this with Seth Godin when we were talking about the lizard brain.
2: The resistance, for example, does not want us to acknowledge that we have a lizard brain. The resistance is the one that says, eh, I don't really feel like doing that extra bit of work. Why? Well, the reason you don't feel like it isn't that you're lazy. The reason you don't feel like it is that you're afraid. And the reason you're afraid is because you might get in trouble. And getting in trouble could cost you your job. And then you get kicked out of the village and then you don't have any children and then your genes aren't passed on and then you die. And so we go from, oh, there's my boss's phone number on my phone to I'm going to die. And our brain can do that in two quick jumps. Hmm. And so our job, if we seek to do this important work, is to acknowledge that we have a lizard brain, to realize that we cannot make it go away. We cannot make that noise in our head disappear. But what we can do is dance with it.
0: That's episode 110 of the Cut the Crap Show. For any of you who want to go back and listen to that one with Seth Godin, we were talking about the linchpin and talking about the lizard brain and how fear controls us and holds us back from truly becoming great at whatever it is we're doing. So this idea of fear, we need to understand it and we need to disrupt it. And yes, Seth Godin gives us some ways to do that. He says we have to learn to live with it. We have to recognize it and we have to learn to dance with it. But Dave, Dave on the other hand has a very unique take on fear that I haven't heard before.
1: There is a new take on fear in my book, Game Changers, and it's based on Headstrong, the last interview we did. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that our bodies are running an operating system that is the same as a bacteria. And it's very straightforward. Run away from, kill or hide from something that might eat you, then eat everything, And then have sex with everything else. Because if you don't do those three things, the species will die. Mm -hmm. Every species has to do these things in that order. So a lot of the fear, the stuff that turns off your mind is simply your body's operating system trying to survive. And none of those fears, unless there actually is a tiger or a famine or uh, things like that, it's not real. But the sensation of it is there. The feelings are really there. So we assign a story to make the feelings justified. And it simply doesn't work when you do that because your body will think that if if in a boardroom a situation that felt like when you were bullied in seventh grade is happening, it'll make you feel like you're being bullied in seventh grade and you'll feel like you're gonna die and then you'll swear at someone or you'll do something that you're ashamed of or you, you know, you'll you procrastinate or you'll not ask the girl out on a date or whatever these things are. and. What you can do in this law is you can actually learn what fear does and you can learn to face your rational fear of criticism and failure and then do things anyway and just accept what the fear actually is. It is not you. It is your body's operating system giving you alerts that are not valid. And that is a very different mindset than saying, I am afraid. No, my body has fear, but I am not afraid at all. Really changes how you do it. So this is a a powerful hack. And in this, I actually refer to Bruce Lipton, the guy who wrote The Biology of Belief and looked at what fear and all sorts of environmental things do to what consciousness does to your cellular biology. There's also something about rejection therapy, about someone who was so afraid of being rejected that he went around and asked for 100 days he he would ask for irrational things until he got a no just to be comfortable saying no. Like he'd go to Burger King and say, can I have a burger refill please? <laughs> just, just until he would hear a no. And man, I tell you, it liberated him. And I interviewed him about this experience. He said, you know, I'm not afraid of hearing no anymore. Wow. But before he was terrified to ask. So it changed his dating life. It changed his career just because of exposure therapy. Now I
0: love these two takeaways. The first one is just separating yourself from your fear. You are not your fear. Your fear is in your body, but your mind is more powerful than your fear. And you can override that fear. So I know you're scared to give that presentation. I know you're scared to ask out that guy or that girl. I know you're terrified to take that test. Whatever it is you're scared of, that's your body. Your body's scared. You, on the other hand, you're courageous. And you're going to do it anyways. And you know what that does to you? It builds mental muscle. Every single time you conquer fear, it makes you stronger. And it makes the fears that used to scare you before, that used to be maybe a level 10, the more you beat them, they go from a 10 to a 9 to a 6 to a 3 to a 2 to a 1. Where now, certain things that scared you that used to be a 10 are no longer a 10. And that's empowering. So I love the takeaway of separating fear from yourself, but I love the second takeaway where he shares with us this example of this individual who constantly put himself in a state of scenarios where he had to have his fear tested, where he faced fear and he had to overcome it, right? Rejection is such a big thing today where we're scared of being rejected. We're scared of people telling us no. We're scared of people getting mad at us. Learning to act in spite of that is critical. And so by setting up artificial, what do you want to call it, artificial scenarios for yourself, that was a great way to do it. It was a great way to train himself. So if you're in sales, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a freelancer, go out there and make some phone calls. Start pitching your services. And right now you might be like, oh, my God, I don't want people to say no. Well, guess what? You're not your fear. Your fear exists in your body, but your mind can override that.
1: It's sort of like when you're your computer pops up a, a message and says, you know, do you want to reboot now? I'm like, no, I'll do it later. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, right. It's an alert on your phone is what it is. It just feels terrible, but it's because you've identified that as you. And this goes down to the English language. Even we, we say, you know, I am afraid or I am hungry in other languages. You might actually say my body has hunger instead of mm-hmm. I am hungry. So we're just too identified with our meat mm-hmm. and that's affecting how we, how we affect things because all of this fear stuff comes from the meat. It doesn't come from thinking about something until you're afraid. It becomes from from the fear is the trigger and then you start thinking and thinking and thinking and believing those thoughts are what created the fear. No, that wasn't it. The fear was present first.
0: Now, as we move on to golden nugget number
1: three, I just
0: want to say that this golden nugget in particular plays very well with golden nugget number two, which is about disrupting fear. So what is golden nugget number three? Don't lead a horse to water, make it thirsty. This concept in particular is very powerful and very important for you to understand, especially if you're trying to overcome fear. If you want to disrupt fear, maybe the thing that you're working on or the thing that you're doing doesn't get you excited enough to want to disrupt it. So I had to ask Dave about that to get a little bit more clarity on what he means by don't lead a horse to water. Make it thirsty.
1: This is based on two really powerful interviews uh, with uh, a couple of guys, both of whom are from India and came from poor families. One is uh, Naveen Jain, who is uh, currently mining the moon for asteroids, is tied in with the X Prize, and Superhero Chowdhury, who is one of the top quality consultants in the world. And both of them told stories about boredom. And it turns out the people who change their game, they don't get bored. They seek out things that fascinate them to the point that they want to jump out of bed in the morning, where they just they love what they do uh, to the point that their passion and their purpose completely obliterate boredom. And they've both said, look, if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a mission that you Cannot force yourself to care. So if you have a a dead-end job or you decide I'm gonna start a company Doing something that doesn't matter for the world because I think that I can make you know 10 percentage points margin or something like that that you will probably hate your life Mm-hmm. So both of them said "Look, you put your passion before money and success follows and both of them also said You don't ignore the money You have to find something that you're passionate about that will create enough of a career for you So if you're an archaeologist in a field that that you know, no one no one knows about or that doesn't really exist You might find that that's your hobby because there is no career there But if you find a career that simply Pays the bills and doesn't do anything for you that you're probably going to to be unhappy and you're probably not going to do anything big so you've got to find that middle ground where yes it's financially successful enough but you give a shit yeah (laughs) and that's that's something that they some (laughs) people say just follow your passion that doesn't work and some people say oh just make Mm -hmm. enough money and neither of those is what leads you to be a game changer Mm -hmm. they both lead to mediocrity another huge point by dave
0: People say, follow your passion. Hey, you can do that. But guess what? Your passion might not make you money. If you're not making money, you're probably not going to be happy. You're going to have a gap in your happiness. And if you're one of those people who are saying, Ryan, I don't need money to be happy. Well, I call BS on that because you need money to take care of your needs. Some of your most basic needs, which is buying food, heat, shelter, being able to pay your rent, being able to pay for transportation. If you're struggling to pay the bills, guaranteed, you're not going to be happy. So let's get real for a second here. You do need money to be happy. But on the other side of the coin where you say, follow the money. Listen, you might follow the money and go get that big, high-paying job, but you might not be happy. And the reason for that is that you might not enjoy what you're doing. You might hate the work, but you're getting paid good money, so whatever, I guess I'll take it. The only problem is how does that impact your life? Probably impacts your relationship. Probably impacts your mental state. Probably impacts your health. What you eat. Do you work out still? The passion you bring to life and to others and to this world. That's impacted. The key here is finding the middle ground. But I really want to point out here that very few of us find that middle ground right out of the gate. And if you're one of those people who did, congratulations. I'm happy for you. Be grateful that you found that. But for most of us, we have to go through pain first to figure out what that middle ground is. Something that makes us enough money that we're taking care of and that we're happy. And something that lights us up, that gets us up out of bed in the morning. Game changers don't get bored. They seek out the things that fascinate them and that make them want to leap out of bed first thing in the morning. Without passion, without purpose, there is no happiness. So you have to find the things that you care about and devote your life to their pursuit. You have to make sure you're putting passion before money. and If you do that, then success will follow. But obviously don't ignore the money either.
1: I look back. I went to Wharton at uh, the business school, and and you look at people who graduate from business school. The things that make the most money are investment banking, uh, mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. so, or maybe management consulting. And the people who do that are saying, "I'm going to follow the money. I'm going to follow the trappings of success." But you look at anyone who's been a banker or a big name consultant for five years. And they're strung out, they're tired, they that's hate real. their life, they work 20 hours a day, uh, they have friends in every country that they don't know very well. Uh, and it's it, it's a crappy life, but man, they've got a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and okay, that's one direction. But if you went to business school and then you said, you know, my real passion is uh, I like to make sand paintings at sunrise in Maui. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. No offense to any out there who like doing that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean they they're both cool right but, but there's <laughs> definitely a middle ground and then you find the people who said well I really cared about solving this one problem and I went out mm-hmm. and I I started doing that and Those are the people who have the biggest impact, but they like it and frankly, I'm one of those people right so I really like coffee I've liked it my whole life and I like not being fat anymore and I like my brain (laughs) to work So I took something that really was my passion this anti-aging stuff I'd done as a nonprofit guy for 20 years and I said I'm gonna start a blog about it and suddenly I said Maybe this is a business. I didn't plan for it to be a business um, I followed my passion, but I watched the money as well. And, and now mm-hmm. Bulletproof groups become very successful from following this law. Like I mentioned before,
0: I just want to repeat it again. It's worth repeating. If you are in that position right now where maybe you're following your passion, but you're not making money, or if you're in a job right now that's paying you pretty good, but you're not feeling very happy about it, there is something that Dave calls the skill acquisition phase. And you might be in that phase right now.
1: There's also a, a skill acquisition phase that maybe I didn't write about enough in that. If you decide, I want to know what it's like. I want to understand what financial services are so I can disrupt the heck out of them. Mm. I'm to go work there for two or three years to, to- – cut my teeth to to apprentice that is epic and amazing and so i don't want to pick on management consultants (laughs) and uh and investment bankers because most of them uh, were early adopters of bulletproof coffee because they needed the energy right Mm -hmm. uh it's it's just that if you're going to go there for the money versus because i wanted to learn because i had that passion i had that curiosity then you did it for the right reason and you're willing to put in the hours and you made some good money too that's great It's when you just keep doing it for the money, even if you don't have the passion. So if curiosity drives you and you're curious about those fields, you're doing it for the right reason. And then you're following that. Don't lead a horse to water. Make it thirsty. Mm -hmm. You have that thirst for knowledge, which drives your career.
0: Now we're moving into bucket number two, which is faster. Again, we just came from bucket number one, smarter. So golden nugget number four. I love this one. Great name don't eat like a caveman eat like your grandma what the hell is dave talking about here well before we go into this one you got to remember that dave is an expert at understanding how foods impact energy levels so exactly what does dave mean by this don't eat like a caveman eat like your grandma
1: the the bulletproof diet my my first book sold about a half a million copies and Uh, is I'd say in in the same quadrant as something like a paleo diet, but based on biochemistry and fertility and hormones and things like that. And I know a, a lot about this. I could have written another food book and this is not a chapter telling you how to eat, but it's pointing something out and it's that ancient wisdom told our ancestors what to eat and how and when to eat it. And this is built in stuff that we have. And big food, this uh, sort of like big tobacco, this big food industry we have replaced all of that knowledge with just cheap fast food. And there is no universal diet for everyone. There are universal principles behind eating, just like there are universal principles behind changing your game. But one of them is that if you go back 100, 150 years and look at what the women in your family, your maternal lineage ate. And focus on those you might be really surprised at how good you feel mm. for instance if you come from a people who are in a Part of the world that ate a lot of lentils You probably tolerate them very well, and they they might be okay for you if you come from a part of the world that never ate lentils like say northern Europe or something you probably won't tolerate them very well. And the same goes for corn, the same goes for rice and things like that. So I cannot tell everyone out there you need to eat this one thing because it won't work. And a lot of it is this complex interplay between the genetics of your power generation, your mitochondria, as our last interview, and your nuclear DNA. So All of these people, uh, the the 450 people who were included in the survey that made the data set for Game Changers. So instead of me telling you what to do, this is what 450 people agree on. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that they agreed on when I I said, tell me three things that matter most. It it could be anything on earth. You know, 76% of them said somewhere in their top three was food. They figured out that if they ate garbage, they could not perform. They couldn't create. They couldn't win they they couldn't do what they were here to do and no one tells you this when you're 18 and you eat some vegetables (laughs) it's it's just not there (laughs) but the rule there is very specific look at what your ancestors ate and tweak your diet based on that
0: again just to kind of reiterate here ancient wisdom told our ancestors what to eat how to eat it when to eat But now all that's been replaced with the big food industry, who now tells us, you know, that we need cheap, fast food. So if you happen to be one of those people who likes a lot of junk food, and that is your fuel, then I can almost guarantee you're having a difficult time concentrating. I can almost guarantee you're having a tough time achieving your big goals can almost guarantee that you get irritable very quickly, that you don't have a lot of energy, that you're not as enthusiastic about your ideas. At the end of the day, you're more drained than excited. And then in the morning, you're not as energetic and pepped up to get going. The kind of food you eat is a game changer. Now we're breaking into the third and final bucket, which is Happier. And we're breaking into golden nugget number five now, which is wealth is a symptom of happiness. Understanding this point is absolutely critical because we oftentimes screw it up. We think that if we have money, we're going to be happy. No, we have to find the happiness first before we can make money. Happy people are engaged, they're productive, and they're successful. And you have to focus on what makes you happy today because being happy, it unlocks a new level of potential in almost everything that you do. Happiness makes it easier to change your circumstances. It makes it easier to change your neighborhood, or
1: maybe even change the whole world. You know, I, I love this one and there there's actually real research out there that says that above $74,000 of that's us dollars, mm-hmm. uh, Another dollar earned does not increase happiness by any meaningful amount. Hmm. And before that, actually having your basic needs met, knowing you have basic safety, does reduce stress to the point that it increases happiness. And what I found in this research for Game Changers is that it's the happy people who are engaged, they're productive, and they're successful. What I did in my career... In my early 20s, I was chasing money because I was absolutely convinced that money and, you know, the trappings of success would make me happy. Mm-hmm. When I was 26, I made $6 million. Hmm. Uh, that was profound and awesome. I, I, was a co- I was a co-founder of a part of the company that held Google's first server uh, mm-hmm. when it was, you know, two guys in a computer and the Facebook servers and things like that. It, wow. was, it was a fantastic time. I lost it when I was 28. Oh. And when I had $6 million <laughs> – I told another friend at the company who was in a similar situation. I said, you know, I'll be happy when I have $10 million and (laughs) I have met people with $50 million who have the same stuff going on, Ryan. And it it just never works. I'll be happy when I get the house or the BMW. It never works. Mm -hmm. So I talked with some neuroscientists and Gabby Bernstein and Vishen Lakhiani uh, in my interviews uh, from mind Valley about what, what happiness is. And if you can turn on happiness, the money comes much more easily and with less effort. And behind most of these things and game changers, it's about reducing struggle and reducing effort. I spend less energy being CEO of Bulletproof, an author, and a Bulletproof Radio host with a hundred million downloads and and mm. four other companies that I've started. Mm. <laughs> less <laughs> energy doing that. <laughs> and being a dad and all that than I did when I had one job working in tech because of the happiness factor so if you focus on what are the things that are going to make me happy whether or not i have money whether or not i'm hitting whatever whatever goals i have how do you do that because Mm -hmm. those are the people who just have rocket boosters behind them and have this amazing lack of of friction in their Mm -hmm. life that is the technique and understanding that that's what a lot of these people have done i asked uh, eric kandel uh, one of the the nobel prize winning uh, 94 year old uh, just amazing uh, uh, neurology guys mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And his number one answer was have a good wife. Hmm, <laughs> and for him, that was a huge part of happiness. And he's <laughs> you changed the world okay. with, with what he did. And it, it wasn't what you would expect him to answer, but it yeah. came down to happiness. And wow, wow for me, that hmm. was really liberating. So if you're not focusing on that state as a state of high performance – then you're doing it wrong. And a lot of people put off happiness because they think they have to do it. No, you do happiness first right. and then you make a lot of money. Moving on to golden
0: nugget number six. When I first read this one, I kind of laughed because wasn't what I expected at first, but get high <laughs> with a little help from your friends. And no, not that kind of high, people. We're talking about social interaction and its impact on your brain chemistry. Come on, what else did you think we were talking about here? (laughs) Now, this golden nugget in particular, yes, it does talk about the importance of having a core group of friends around you. You know, a lot of people have that. I have that. I'm so blessed for having a core group of friends around me to inspire me, to keep driving me, to challenge me. That makes me happy. But this golden nugget isn't just about that. In fact, it goes beyond that. Talking about a larger community, people that you just see more frequently, the community meeting your neighborhood. Maybe it's the person you see at the corner store every day, what you don't really know, but you share pleasantries with. That's a part of your community. So I found this golden nugget in particular very interesting because it broadened my idea of what a community was and the importance of it.
1: In this, I relied on an interview with uh, Paul Zack, who's also known as, as Dr. Love, and he's <laughs> one of the preeminent researchers on oxytocin. Mm. And he, we talked in that interview about how social interaction impacts your brain chemistry. And when you have a community around you, it changes your neurotransmitters so that the things you do are Easier uh, uh, for you to do. Hmm. You actually build trust with the community around you as well. And that trust itself raises oxytocin. It does a little bit differently in men and women. But the bottom line is that the things that would have created fear don't create fear because you have trust. Hmm. And this means having not just you know those those you know five friends that Jim Rohn talks about as you, know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with but this means having a church uh, going uh, playing baseball or whatever your favorite sport is having a group of people who some of whom you're close with others of whom you just see regularly so that you you have the support we we evolved to be in a community of 150 people living in a cave around the savannah, mm-hmm. and if your your meat operating system doesn't get some of that, it changes your stress levels. And when your stress levels go up, your happiness goes down and your performance goes down. Mm -hmm. So build that community. And if you make it a community of conscious, happy people, uh, you will be to go to the next law on that one. You are a reflection of your community. Mm -hmm. And if you build that community when things are good, if things aren't good, if you're unhappy, if you're off your game, you get divorced, you get sick, Those people will be there for you and your body knows they'll be there for you. So even in those hard times, they're much easier. It also is shown in the research and some of these interviews with guys like Neil Strauss and Esther Perel and John Gray, the Mars and Venus guy, you know, whatever kind of relationship you have, whether you're you're dating someone, you decide not to get married or, you know, you're Uh, in a gay relationship or uh, heck you're polyamorous it it doesn't really matter Uh, uh, or maybe you live in a commune as long as you have a community that supports your relationship your relationship can be very very strong and if you don't have a community that supports it or is against it your relationship is likely to fail Hmm. and this is one of those things if you're in a failing relationship your happiness will be down your hormones will be off and you'll basically really have to do some work to get back on top of your game. Mm -hmm. So no one teaches this, that your community supports your relationship, it supports your neurotransmitters, and it supports who you're ultimately going to be, and that it's a part of the environment that reduces stress and increases performance. It is not okay to lock yourself in a room, Mm -hmm. cut off all your relationships with friends, and (laughs) say, I'm gonna go start a company. All I have to do is get the numbers right on my website. If I just get enough followers, that's not what the people who win do, but we like to think it is
0: last but certainly not least, golden nugget number seven, gratitude is stronger than fear. And I love that we're coming full circle because golden nugget number two, disrupting fear. Golden nugget number seven, gratitude is stronger than fear. We're using a different tool, gratitude, to disrupt fear again. It's a common theme in a lot of books and a lot of success literature overcoming fear that doesn't serve you is absolutely necessary if you want to access or achieve your level of greatness in life. And yes, I know. I understand when people say courage works. I understand if you're courageous and you have to kind of muster up the courage to get there. I get that. The problem is it takes a lot of energy. And if you have to maintain a high level of courage, you're going to get exhausted from doing that all the time. So what Dave recommends is he says to save your courage. Save your courage for when your life is actually on the line. And the rest of the time, use gratitude to turn fear off at the cellular level. Again, freedom from fear leads to happiness. Happiness is what makes you perform your best at whatever you choose to do in life.
1: This might be the most important law. When you're feeling fear about something, or maybe more accurately, when your body is feeling fear about something, you might not even know specifically what it is. You, there's a feeling, you think it's one thing, it might be another. If you can sit down and consciously turn on the sensation of gratitude, it is the antidote for fear. And I say this because one of those four companies I mentioned that I started, is called 40 Years of Zen. It's a five day intensive neurofeedback driven, we hook up computers up to your brain to see what's going on in there and show you. I spent four months of my life doing this and I can tell you, you sit there and you can just be absolutely terrified of some situation or completely stuck. And if you reframe it just using gratitude and in this lie, actually show people how to do it, all, all you have to do is genuinely feel a spark of gratitude and gratitude mm-hmm. can be, you know, this seems like the worst day ever be like, Oh, I'm still alive and have both legs. Gratitude. That's, not, like, <laughs> that's all right. it takes. And <laughs> that's right. It's a switch in your brain. You cannot simultaneously be afraid and grateful. So this is your off switch for fear. And nobody teaches this, but it's the most important thing and I can see it on a computer screen with electrodes hooked up to my head. Wow! Find something to be grateful for, do it right now. I do it with my kids every night and I do it myself every night. And it is one of the most important things you can do because when fear goes, everything gets easier. And all of these laws ultimately around removing friction from your life.
0: Right, there we have it. That's Game Changers. What leaders, innovators, and mavericks do to win at life by my man, Dave Asprey. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, then please go online, rate and review the show. If you're listening on Stitcher, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please go online, leave me a rating, leave me a review. It's very easy to do. It's right in the app there, and it would mean a heck of a lot to me if you did that. So please, if you just take couple minutes out of your day to do that I'd appreciate that it means a lot to me and it helps the show grow also if you haven't connected with me online then what are you waiting for connect with me online I'm on LinkedIn Facebook Instagram Twitter go ahead connect with me say hi tell me you found with through the show again it just means a lot to me that you connect and you say hi you know how much I love that especially for all of you who have done that already and you've reached out you know that I reach back out to all of you it might take me some time but I always do it In any case, my friends, that is a wrap for today. Again, thank you so much for making time for me, making time for the show, dedicating time to educate yourself and learn some information. To me, that's what it's all about here. So I'll catch you back here next week. I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, interview with an author. And of course, every single week, I'm just here trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all.
3: Rise and shine. 6 a.m. and your hand can't make it to the alarm clock before the voices in your head start telling you that it's too early, too dark, and too cold to get out of bed. Aching muscles lie still in rebellion, pretending not to hear your brain commanding them to move. A legion of voices are shouting their unanimous permission for you to hit the snooze button and go back to dreamland. But you didn't ask their opinion. The voice you've chosen to listen to is one of defiance, a voice that says there was a reason you set that alarm in the first place. So sit up, put your feet on the floor, and don't look back, because we've got work to do. Welcome to the grind. For what is each day but a series of conflicts between the right way and the easy way. 10,000 streams fan out like a river delta before you, each one promising the path of least resistance. Thing is, you're headed upstream. And when you make that choice, When you decide to turn your back on what's comfortable, and safe, and what some would call common sense, well, that's day one. From there, it only gets tougher. So just make sure this is something you want. Because the easy way out will always be there, ready to wash you away. All you have to do is pick up your feet. But you aren't going to, are you? With each step comes the decision to take another. You're on your way now, but this is no time to dwell on how far you've come. You're in a fight against an opponent you can't see, but oh, you can feel them on your heels, can't you? Feel them breathing down your neck. You know what that is? That's you. Your fears, your doubts, and insecurities all end up like a firing squad, ready to shoot you out of the sky. But don't lose heart. While they're not easily defeated, they are far from invincible. Remember, this is the grind. The battle royale between you and your mind, your body, and the devil on your shoulder is telling you that this is just a game. This is just a waste of time. Your opponents are stronger than you. Drown out the voice of uncertainty with the sound of your own heartbeat. Burn away your self-doubt with a fire lit beneath you. Remember what we're fighting for and never forget that Momentum's a cruel mistress. She can turn on a dime or the smallest mistake. She is ever searching for the weak place in your armor. That one tiny thing you forgot to prepare for. So as long as the devil is hiding the details, the question remains. Is that all you got? Are you sure? And when the answer is yes, when you've done all you can to prepare yourself for battle, then it's time to go forth and boldly face your enemy, the enemy within. Only now you must take that fight into the open, into hostile territory. You're a lion in a field of lions, all hunting the same elusive prey with a desperate starvation that says, victory is the only thing that can keep you alive. So believe that voice that says you can run a little faster, and you can throw a little harder, and that for you, the laws of physics are merely a suggestion. Luck is the last dying wish of those who want to believe that winning can happen by accident. Sweat, on the other hand, is for those who know it's a choice. So decide now, because destiny waits for no man. And when your time comes, and a thousand different voices are trying to tell you you're not ready for it, listen instead to that lone voice of dissent. The one that says you are ready, you are prepared. It's all up to you now, so rise and shine.